Welcome to episode number 202. In today's episode, we are going to be diving deep in how to use herbs and natural medicine specifically during the cold and flu season. And we're going to get really precise and nitty gritty with some different I hate to use the word dosages, but how to actually brew and or use that herb in specific amounts with different symptoms that you might be experiencing that are very common with the cold and flu season. Now, before we dive any farther, I do need to say a quick disclaimer that neither I nor my very special guest, even though she is a clinical herbalist, but via this podcast, neither one of us are actually diagnosing you or prescribing any type of treatment plan. And please, I mean this sincerely and very seriously, if you do have any medical conditions and or you are on any prescription medications, you really do need to check with your medical professional of choice before you start using herbs medicinally, because they can interact with certain medications and or different conditions. One of the things that I love about this episode, and I know you are going to as well, is one, how much information got jam-packed into this bad boy. I learned quite a bit, and I am really excited that I got the chance to interview Um, And I will introduce her in just a moment, I promise, and we'll get to the meat of this episode. Previously, we recorded this a few weeks back because I am just now starting to come down with a cold. I don't know if you can hear it at all in my voice as I'm recording this, but I'm starting to come down with a few of those symptoms, and so is my daughter. So I'm really excited to have this information already at hand for us to begin to use even more than we already did. I don't think I introduced myself. I'm going to introduce my guest, but I didn't introduce myself. Goodness. So if you are a first time listener, welcome to the Pioneering Today podcast. I'm your host, Melissa K. Norris. I'm a fifth generation homesteader and lover of all things homegrown, homemade, and old fashioned. And the Pioneering Today podcast is where we don't just inspire you, but give you the clear steps so that you can create the homegrown garden, pantry, kitchen, medicine cabinet, and life that you want for your family and homestead, regardless of where you live. Now you'll hear in the interview where we dive into this, but talking about learning how to pick the best herb for you and for your body and for what you are experiencing at that given time. Because I am really guilty of when I first started using natural medicine and herbs of approaching it just like we would normal medicine or over-the-counter where you go and you're going to grab an ibuprofen for something or you have a headache, this is what you take. You got a fever, this is what you take. You got a cough, this is what you take. And wanting to find the exact herb that I could just pop in in place of that. And while you can find herbs that are known for supporting the body and helping alleviate specific symptoms, it's not as cut and dried as just finding the herb and swapping it in for a system that we're used to if we're used to just going to the pharmacy store or the grocery store shelf and going to the, you know, the little aisle that's got the little bottles of pills and cough syrup on it. So even if you're a beginning 
to get into herbs and wanting to learn about them, you're going to find this episode extremely valuable. But maybe you're like me and you have already begun your journey and you could center yourself kind of intermediate. I think that you are still going to find this super valuable. And the other thing before we dive into that I have to share with you, I'm super excited. I didn't realize this at the time of that we were recording it. But as the good Lord would have it, I hate to say the word luck because I really don't believe in luck. But as uh, the good Lord would have it, Right now, we are in the period where you can get for free the Taste of Herbs flavor wheel. Now, I know we're talking about thinking flavor, but this has actually got a lot of to do with the medicinal and using it how we're going to be talking about inside this episode. So what it is, is it's a free download that you can get to access it right now. And this part is totally free. And then there's four videos that are amazing that are going to walk you even further in depth. You can go to melissaknorris.com forward slash herb wheel. And it will also be in the show notes as well as the blog post, the written blog post that accompanies all of the podcast episodes. So you can find that link there. But you can go to get not only the free video series, which is pretty awesome, but also this download with this very detailed wheel that you're going to love. Go to melissaknorris.com forward slash herb wheel, all one word. But the really cool thing that is in this wheel that you're going to love is first it goes by taste. So they've got it broken down by bitter, sweet, pungent, salty, sour. And then the next part of the wheel helps go into essential oils. Obviously, the sweet is going to have sugars, polysaccharides, And then for bitters, it's going to go into alkaloids. So it, it continues to break it down level by level. Then it shows you on the wheel. Then it goes to, is it moist or warm? Is it warm or dry? Moist or cool? And under each of these wheel sections, then it goes down and it tells you, for example, on the sweet one, is it an adaptogen? Is it a one that helps work in the blood? Is it with the immune system? Is it a demulcent? And then it's going to break it down even further and then give you the actual herbal name based on those listings. So it's really great, great value. And I think you are going to love it. Then there's also some quizzes so that you can figure out your own personal constitution, which within this episode, you're going to hear more about that. So if you're like, I don't even know what you're talking about, don't worry, just go ahead and listen. But just know that this is really, a really cool resource that's only available for free for a short period of time. And you're going to want to go and get your hands on it. And just so you know, this part is totally free, including the four videos. But If you decide to purchase the full herbal course to really go in depth with your herbal training, and you use my link, blisskanoris.com forward slash herb wheel, which thank you so much in advance. One, I think it's an incredible, uh, the free stuff that they're giving out has got incredible value. And then if you do go ahead and you purchase that course, thank you so much because I do earn a commission on it. So this is considered an affiliate and that helps me cover the web hosting and the equipment and the podcast hosting, which is actually separate um, so that I can bring you the free podcast episodes every week to a week now. Okay. So now that we got that part covered, I promise we are going to dive into today's episode and today's guest, I know I've been teasing you, is Rosalie 
and she is the education director of learningherbs.com. She's also the author of the best-selling book, which is one of my favorite herb books. You've probably heard me talk about it before, and that is The Alchemy of Herbs, Transform Everyday Ingredients into Foods and Remedies that Heal. The cool thing about Rosalie, well, you're going to discover a lot of cool things about her as we go through the podcast episode, but she is a registered herbalist with the American Herbalist Guild, and she teaches students all over the world how to confidently use medicinal plants. And the best place to go deeper with Rosalie, obviously, we've got her website, and she has the free course, but she even says, and you'll hear it in this episode, that it's really the most in depth is her Taste of Herbs course, which is open right now. And as part of that, you can get quite a bit of those free resources, which is all the stuff I just mentioned, the wheel, those quizzes, and four videos. Okay, let's get right into it, you guys. There's so much great stuff. You are going to adore all of the information in this episode. I am so excited to get to chat with you today, Rosalie. So welcome to the Pioneering Today podcast. I'm really excited to be here. Thanks, Melissa. Yeah, I actually purchased your book right when it came out and I dove into it and I learned so much, I think, with just the first couple of chapters. And so I was so excited when you were coming on. I'm like, oh, yeah, I get to talk to her in person because I loved your approach, like really opened my eyes and changed the way that I was approaching and choosing the herbs that I was using medicinally. And so we're just going to like dive right into it because I thought it was so fascinating. And I hadn't up until that point really experienced that or had it make sense to me. And that was how you go about choosing the right herb for you. And I think because I came from a very typical Western you go to the, I worked in pharmacy as a pharmacy tech for 18 plus years. So, you know, you go, you have a headache, you go and you're going to ch- pick Tylenol or ibuprofen or whatever. And so I was really approaching herbalism from that background. Like I just wanted like, this is the herb that you use if you have a headache. And this is the one that you use if you have a cough, kind of that type of mentality. But herbalism is really different than that. And the approach is different from that. And what I loved is how you explained in your book how you pick the right herb to use for you based on you and your body and then also the properties of the herb. So can you dive into that a little bit for people who don't have your book and kind of explain that as in a recap as possible because I know we can't you know, read the entire, the entire yeah. book to everybody. But yeah, it was really eye-opening for me. And, and like I said, it really changed the way that I approached using my herbs. So I think it's a really good place for us to start. Yeah, that sounds great. Well, it's very common to, especially when we start out using herbs to apply that principle, like you have a headache. And so what herb do you choose? I mean, it's very intuitive for people, I think, who grow up using over-the-counter drugs or pharmaceuticals like that. I call it, um, whether it's an herbalism or, you know, in Western medicine, I call that the one solution syndrome, where it's this idea that you have some kind of ailment and then there's this like one solution to it. Like you said, herbalism has a little bit different approach. And one of my teachers, David Winston, he's fond of saying that while herbs have become really popular these days, it's like herbalism hasn't quite caught up with that popularity, although it's certainly growing as well. And so with herbalism, herbalism is not using the principles of Western herbalism, but instead of using drugs, using herbs instead. Herbalism has, in the many ways that it is used in the world, 
it has its own system of you know, analysis or diagnosis and its own system of figuring out how to match herbs to people. And I have a headache, so which herb do I use? Or whatever the case may be, like I have a rash, what herb do I use? Honestly, sometimes that method does work. And it's great when it does because it's simple and easy. But in my experience, it can potentially create a lot of overwhelm. Like if you're crowdsourcing, like in a, a group, like I have a headache, what herb do I take? You might get 150 different herbs as a response. Or even if you look it up in a book, there might be 10, 20 different herbs listed. And so then it gets kind of confusing, which one do I use? But then also, even in that situation, like if you chose one of those herbs, it might not work for you. And I'm very passionate about helping people to use herbs for their health every day. And in that, I want people to use them effectively and get results from them. Because it's not very fun to be like, okay, you know, I have this ailment and I'd like to use herbs. I'm interested in using something more natural. And then you try something and it doesn't work because that's just a flop, right? And it kind of inhibits more trying out of new things. And so I really like to see people get results. Yeah. And I think too, like you said as well, I think a lot of people try herbs and they use them in the manner that we would use an over-the-counter thing. Whereas you take it once or you take it twice and you expect that it's going to solve the problem or bring you immediate relief. And occasionally, depending on what it is, that does sometimes happen with herbs but there's so much more to the body. And I've found, at least for me personally, for a lot of things, is using the herb throughout the day a lot more frequently, especially if it's like when I have like a really bad cold or cough or something like that. It's not like you take it and it's going to magically work for 12 hours straight, in most cases, Uh I should say, in my own experience. And so I think it's a little bit of that mindset shift as well. And then there's other herbs that something you're taking on a daily basis and it's like a long-term effect. And no, you're not immediately going to notice an immediate difference. So I think having the right mindset and expectation of using herbs medicinally is important too. Mm -hmm. But I loved how you went into, so I'm hoping you'll dive into this a little bit. And it is, it's from her book. And guys, you always know within the podcast resources and the blog post that accompanies it, I will have links to everything that we're talking about so that you can go and check this out further. But it was kind of the chart you had on where you look at your own body and if you are dry, cold, hot, wet, that kind of thing. Can you kind of walk us through that aspect of in a nutshell? Sure. So the type of herbalism that I practice is we call an energetic-based herbalism. And that those energetics, it's kind of a strange term because it sounds kind of like out there, but it's based on things that we feel and experience every single day. One part of that is understanding as people how the four qualities of hot and cold and damp and dry show up in our lives. So for example, you might know somebody in your life who always seems to be colder than other people. Like maybe they're wearing a sweater when other people are wearing a t-shirt or they really like warm beverages and often like to have their hands wrapped around the hot mug of tea and vice versa. You might know somebody who tends to be a lot hotter than other people. In general, you know, they're the ones that are cracking the window in wintertime or wearing less clothing. So those are kind of the very broad aspects of looking at someone as hot and cold. And then dry and damp, again, just things we experience every day. Like somebody might have, feel like their skin is often dry or their hair is dry and they have to use a lot of conditioner or use a lot of lotion on their skin. Or maybe somebody has a lot of dampness and 
They wouldn't want to be slathering their body in lotion all the time because it would just be too oily or too thick for their skin because it's already damp. And so we have like kind of just like our way of being in the world. We call that our constitution. Again, looking at these four qualities, hot, cold, damp, dry. And then it's a matter of like thinking about things in terms of comfortability. And so in our everyday life, maybe sometimes somebody like regularly is too hot and it's uncomfortable for them. So we could use herbs to cool that person down. Another way this comes out, and I really like to talk about it in terms of colds and flus, because most of us have experience somewhat regularly with a cold or a flu. Yeah. You can see those energetics really come to light in that situation. So for example, when you think about a time when you've had a fever and there's really a lot of different kind of fevers out there. So this is a great example of, you know, if you have a fever and you have a Western medicine way of thinking, you just think, well, oftentimes, unfortunately, they just want to take some, it's recommended to take some type of pill to reduce the fever, which is not what we do in herbalism. But a fever is a fever is a fever, right? Or a cough is a cough is a cough. In herbalism, we look at things a lot differently. So with a fever, we might say, oh, is this a hot fever or a cold fever? And that means this person feel hot. Are they restless? Are they tense? Or does this person feel cold? Are they shivering? Are they covered in scarves and blankets? Are they craving warm things? And so depending on the type of fever someone might have, a cold fever, a hot fever, we would use different herbs for that. Or a cough. There's the kind of cough where it's like a dry spasmodic or hacking cough, which is very different from a cough where there's lots of congestion in the lungs. And so for that, um, so it'd be a dry cough versus a damp cough, for example. And so we would choose different herbs for that. So again, we're looking at people and energetics and how the qualities of hot cold, damp, and dry show up in our lives. And that could just be our everyday life, or it could be tied to a particular ailment. So that's kind of one aspect of it is people and energetics. And then the second aspect is the herbs. And we look at herbs in the same way in terms of their energetic qualities. So if an herb is hot or cold or damp or dry, that could sound weird at first, but I'll give you some examples. You'll probably see this like, oh, I've been noticing this all my life. For example, would you say that watermelon, biting into a fresh watermelon, is that a hot experience or a cold experience? I would definitely say a cold experience because on hot days, I always love to have watermelon. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Would you call it a dry experience or a moist experience? Oh, definitely moist. Yeah. So watermelon being cooling and moistening. And like you said, it's just intuitive that you're going to reach for that on a hot summer day. And it's not often in the middle of winter or when it's really cold out that you know, most people are thinking like, oh, what I really want right now is a watermelon <laughs> Something <laughs> when it's hot out. And that's essentially like that in a nutshell, that's herbalism. <laughs> that's figuring out, you know, when something, you know, what are the qualities of some kind of energetic illness or just how someone's feeling and what are the qualities of the herbs and how do we match those together? And so, you know, it works the other way around too in the middle of winter and we're cold, maybe it's damp out, but we're often you know, craving that warm bowl of soup or hot cocoa or, or something that's going to heat us up. So yeah. same, same goes for, for herbs and illness. And of course, you know, this is how Chinese medicine looks at herbalism. This is how Ayurveda looks at herbalism and Western herbalism as well, as, as well as many, many, many other forms of herbalism around the world. And honestly, it gets pretty complex and in-depth. People spend years and years, and you could even say a whole lifetime, figuring out these different energetic patterns and how to match herbs to the person. 
But for most of us, learning the basic principles is really going to serve us for 90% of our herbal health needs. And so it's something that we can begin to recognize every day. It really is that common sense. Like another example, summertime, spend a little bit too much time in the sun unprotected and you get a sunburn. You know, you put your hand on a sunburn, it feels hot. Oftentimes it's dry. So what do we like to put on it? We like to put on something maybe like aloe that's cooling and moistening um, and helping to relieve that heat. So that is way more effective than memorizing a list of what herbs do I take for a certain thing. And it also just, you know, it's really beautiful and how it just makes so much sense. It's very practical and actionable. Yeah, it was really fun too, because as I was going through that, I am naturally a cold and dry and my husband is hot and damp. So it was really <laughs> funny because I'm like, boy, we're like the opposites. But then like when I, I had a cold and it was that dry, raspy, there wasn't, it wasn't productive. I wasn't having a lot of mucus. And so that was really fun because I actually got to go and look at, look at them and use that filter, which I had never really used before. I was a three years ago, two years ago, I'm trying to remember now when your book came out, I think it was two years ago, but then I started to go through my herb cabinet and I was trying to decide which type of tea I was going to make. And I got to use that as a filter. I guess I kind of felt empowered and I'm like, oh, this is such a great way to decide what to take for effectiveness and also just aiding my body. And like you said, sometimes it's what your normal constitution is, but then you have those acute periods where you're going through an illness or something and that can kind of change the constitution and being able to know which one to use at that time was really awesome. So I thought it was a great way as an introduction, like you said, to thinking about it in that way and making that mind switch and the way that you choose specific herbs is putting it through that filter because with our modern Western medicine, that's not something that we normally really consider at all. So thank you so much for breaking that down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I do want to go back to though. So when we, so say you are experiencing, cause yeah, cold and flu season, I have to say is when I think it's for a lot of people and probably myself included to a degree, we tend to reach for herbs once we've got an illness or once we have some, a symptom that's really bothering us. And so cold and flu season, that definitely falls into that category. But say you do have that hot, fever where you are feeling hot, you're not like with it in the chills part, what are mm -hmm. some of the herbs that you begin to look at to consider helping aid that? So I mentioned that, you know, herbalism, our first thought isn't to reduce a fever because a fever is seen as a very beneficial immune system response. It's actually making our bodies a very inhospitable place for pathogens that are in us. And so generally how we talk about is we want to support the fever process. And so it doesn't necessarily mean do nothing, um, because when someone has a hot fever, as mentioned, they are usually feeling hot and restless and tense, and they could have achy bones, ache in their bones, and feel generally miserable. So yes. it's, not, it's not a matter of just being like, oh, you have a fever. It's a beneficial immune system response. Good luck. <laughs> Enjoy your uncomfortability. No, that's not you know, generally how we're thinking about it either. So in this case, we're wanting to support the fever process. If somebody's feeling that hot, tense situation, we're wanting to bring relaxation and coolness to the body. And so again, this isn't about taking something that artificially lowers the fever, but can be used to, one of the terms is we open up the periphery or open up the skin and allow heat to naturally escape. And so that could be 
you're just bringing on the natural process of sweating, which is one way the body releases the heat in a fever. And one of my very, very favorite herbs for this is chamomile. And chamomile, I have to admit, back in the day, I thought chamomile was a pretty wussy herb. <laughs> I thought it was just something for like Peter Rabbit or for could give a little bit to young kids. It was just something, maybe something to have as a little after dinner, you know, drink, but it wasn't like real herbal medicine. But I have had to since change my tune on that. And I think part of what gave me that misconception is that so often, you know, chamomile is a very popular herb. And oftentimes we take it in a tea bag. And so we have a tea bag and we soak the herb, you know, soak chamomile, maybe for like three minutes in hot water. And then we drink it and, you know, it tastes pretty tasty. And that's chamomile. But actually we can use chamomile in very different ways and get really dramatic results. What I like to do for a hot fever is use chamomile, but in much larger dosages and with a larger steeping time. And so depending on the person, this dosage will vary for children versus adults, but a basic adult size amount could be anywhere from a third cup of chamomile flowers to a half cup of chamomile flowers steeped in 16 ounces of water for 15 minutes. So it's a very, it's a much stronger cup of tea than a tea bag chamomile. And so you steep that strain it off. This is not going to taste like a tea bag cup of chamomile. It's going to be very strong, going to be bitter, but it's not undoable. And oftentimes when people, I've found that when people have these hot fevers and they drink something like chamomile, their body likes it so much that it almost tastes oddly good. It doesn't taste like sweet or like ice cream, but it's something you can tell like, oh, my, my body's using this. It's really liking it. And so what that does, the way chamomile works so great in this instance is first of all, it's what we call a relaxing nervine. Relaxes uh, tense qualities and relaxes the nervous system. So when we talked about that hot fever, we're having a lot of tension involved and there's often a feeling of restlessness, listlessness. And drinking chamomile tea, especially this strong amount, is just, this is what it feels like. <sighs> and you just let go of that tension that's been building in your body. And so that's very helpful. At this dose as well, it can have some pain relieving effects. And so if somebody has those aches and pains associated with a fever, it also is helping to relieve those aches and pains. And it's also working as a naturally cooling herb. And so it's helping let that heat escape. And so the person can be a lot more comfortable. And when you drink it like this as well, it's also a pretty good sedative. And so it'll make you sleep. And that can be one of the best healing remedies during a flu when you have a fever and you're feeling this um, type of hot listlessness, just letting your body sleep and relax comfortably is one of the best medicines as well because it's just allowing your body to rest and your immune system to jump in there and do its thing. Yeah, I love that. In fact, it's so funny. Literally right before we got on this call, I was out amongst my garden and the herbs and the flowers and doing some watering and I was just looking at my chamomile flowers and they're just about ready for me to harvest and begin drying to use this fall. And like you listed out the different ways that it helps aid a fever, I think that's why in a smaller dose, I love to take it if I'm having trouble going to sleep or I've had an especially stressful day and I can tell that I'm not really letting go of the tension, having a cup at bedtime, of course not at that dose is just <laughs> to use to go to sleep. But all of those properties are one of the reasons I think that a lot of people know it is kind of that calming herb and using it at bedtime. But I love the way that you bring about, it's important when you are using it for something like a fever, like a much more acute situation for that short period of time where you really need a dose, 
that you're going to be brewing it in a much different way than you would be brewing just a regular cup of tea that you were taking mainly to enjoy rather than to really aid the body with something like a fever. I thought was great. Thank you for walking us through that. Yeah. Another way I really like it for a fever is as a bath herb as well. And so you make a similarly strong tea and just put that in your bath water. And I like to make the tea first and then put it in the water as opposed to just putting the chamomile in the bathtub because it's less of a cleanup, but also because it's making a stronger brew. And that can be even a tepid bath with chamomile in there can be relaxing to the muscles, relaxing to tension, and also helping get that heat out. So, so many lovely ways. And you mentioned you have fresh chamomile. My chamomile is also blooming right now. I've been harvesting it for the past couple of weeks. And it's so fun because the more you harvest, the more you get. So I just go out there every couple of days and keep harvesting it. So keep flowering and one of my favorite things to do with chamomile as well is to take those fresh flowers and infuse them into honey. So you just fill a jar, whatever size jar you want, about half to three quarters full with the chamomile. And then you pour honey over that, give it a good stir. You might add a little bit more honey after you stir it. And you let that sit even for as long as three days. And after three days, you start tasting that honey and it just tastes so lovely. And that honey is really great for sore throats. Or you can use it to just sweeten your teas and it has the honey, the chamomile flavor in it as well. That's a great thing to be able to do with the fresh chamomile that it doesn't quite work as well with dried. I love that. Now, do you then try to strain out the flowers from the honey or you just leave them in there till you've consumed all the honey? You can strain it out. And if you do, I recommend keep it in the jar and put it in a warm water bath just to make it a little bit more liquid and then pour it out through a strainer. It just depends on if that bothers you to have flower parts in your honey. And sometimes it bothers me and sometimes it doesn't. Like, for example, if I'm using that honey for tea, I don't really like flower bits in my tea. I know that doesn't bother some people, (laughs) but I just, I don't like it. So I don't like it for that. But having it on a spoonful, you can just chew on the flowers and, and use them in that way. So either or. That is a great tip. I love it. So when I go and harvest fresh again, I'm going to have to get a jar of that going and trying it. Thank you for that tip. And then I do feel like because we did cover in such good detail on some ways to help with that hot, dry fever, what are ways that you try to aid the body if it's where you've got the shakes and you just can't get warm, you've got like five blankets on top of you and you're just freezing cold with a fever? Yeah. I like that we're talking about fevers randomly just because it is (laughs) such a like, well, you mentioned before that to have good expectations about herbs and and what they can do and when they're going to work for you which is a really great conversation to have because it is a little bit different. And with fevers, I feel like these herbs that we're talking about, whether it's for the hot fever or the cold fever, you really can can really feel a profound difference and profound relief almost immediately. And that's nice, especially when you're just starting out with herbs to just be like, oh yeah, these herbs work. I can feel it right away. And fevers are a great way to experience that. So for a cold fever, when you feel like you're shivering, oftentimes this is the beginning of a flu and some of the first symptoms that you might have. It can happen at the beginning of a cold too, even if you're not going to have a full-blown fever, but you just have that feeling of being cold. And there's, it's an unmistakable feeling where you're like, oh no, I know what this feeling means. And the great thing about recognizing that at the beginning and using these herbs, I'll talk about in a minute, is that you can really help shorten the duration of the illness which is a really powerful thing that herbs can do. So when we're feeling cold and we're shivering, our body is obviously trying to warm up, right? It's trying to form a fever, which is again, that beneficial fever or immune system response. And so in this situation, we want to say, okay, my body is trying to warm up. How can I help it? 
And so we can definitely help it by putting on a scarf and a hat, getting snuggled under the blankets. But we can also be drinking warming herbs. And so herbs come on a scale, right? So they're super hot herbs that are really spicy and really warming. So in that case, you might think of things like cayenne pepper. And you can make a tea out of cayenne pepper. And that's actually one people, a lot of people do this as a way, again, to shorten the duration of the illness. So it not only heats your body up, but it does so in such a powerful way that they can also, again, shorten the duration of the illness. To make a cayenne tea, what I recommend is start very with very little cayenne because you want to figure out what your body can handle. And that's not just, well, there's a couple of things. There's what your body can handle in terms of the cayenne, but there's also the potency of the cayenne pepper because that can vary greatly. And so you want to start off with just a little bit. So we might start off with a quarter teaspoon of cayenne powder and you stir that into just boiled water. I like to add a little bit of honey and a little splash of lemon and makes it a little bit better tasting. And you sip that very slowly. You don't want to drink it too fast. It might make you nauseous if it's very hot. And so you'd start there with just very little, but as soon as you're sipping that hot water with the cayenne, it's a really cool feeling. I mean, anytime you've You've probably felt this if you've had a spicy soup. You can feel that hot liquid going down to your stomach, and then you can feel it warm up your core and just spread outward. It's a really cool feeling, and it really is just so relieving to the fever process because you're just helping your body heat up. So that's kind of an extreme one, right, the the cayenne. And again, it's loved for shortening the duration of a cold or flu. It doesn't have to be that dramatic. Some other herbs that I really like for this stage are things like thyme and oregano. So again, culinary herbs that we're familiar with, you know, in our spaghetti, Um, but they're actually quite spicy and potent and they make really lovely teas that can be again used to um, speed or to help your body heat up. And they're just so relieving when you're cold and shivering and you have that warmth spread through your body. Again, it's, it's like that feeling, but kind of in a different way, right? Because before we're releasing tension and now we're kind of building up heat in our body. So for the both oregano and thyme, I use them very similarly. I'll use like anywhere from one to three teaspoons of the dried herb steeped in say 12 ounces of water. And you, you want to steep that covered uh, because there's lots of volatile oils in those herbs that can escape through the steam. So cover that, um, trap those in there. And this one doesn't need a long steeping time because of those aromatic qualities come out pretty well. So I'd steep it just for about five minutes or so. You can be sweetened with something like honey, which also, of course, has its beneficial properties as well. And then and sip that and feel that warmth spread through your body. Okay. I love those. And I've got all of those herbs <laughs> going and I need to get out there and, and begin harvesting even more of them and building my supply back up and get those drying. I'm pretty fortunate here. I know that there's more healing qualities when you're harvesting the herb at different times of the year. But I can almost have oregano just outside my back door. It's in our southern exposure and tucked right up against the eve of the house there. I can almost harvest that one year round, but not with my time. So I got to get out there and get those. And I love that those are work because I found too, like I love to take bone broth when I'm just kind of feeling under the weather and because it's that hot, especially in the cold. And I like to add extra herbs to that. So it's not really a tea, but I heat it up and then can add some herbs to give it some more flavor. And if I'm just going to be sipping on it. So I guess basically I'm making a bone broth tea. So I'm definitely mm-hmm. going to pay attention to adding some more oregano and thyme when I'm doing that. And I'm really glad that we touched on fevers too, because one of the reasons I actually became really interested in, in going more natural 
and looking at using herbs medicinally was, well, when I had a bunch of health issues and by changing my food was the only way that I was able to get healing. And I thought, oh my goodness, of just changing my food to more natural, unprocessed, you know, the whole thing uh, made that much of a healing difference. What would herbs do? You know, it really opened my eyes and was the way that I started down this path. And then my daughter, when she was about two years old, was diagnosed with von Willebrand's disease, which is a blood clotting disorder. And that means that a lot of the stuff when I was using more over-the-counter medicines, use a lot less now. But what I like when my son, who's a little bit older, he's four years older than my daughter, you know, when he would get as a child a you know high fever, and you get nervous, especially about younger children getting those high fevers, and of course you want to make them feel better because they're miserable. I, you know, I can give him pretty much anything over the counter, but with my daughter having that blood clotting disorder, I'm, we're extremely limited in the things that she can take. And even with herbs, I still have to be, to be careful because she does have clotting issues. But I really started to look at herbs because when she had a fever, there's very little that I could actually give her that would just help her find some relief and some comfort. And so I was really glad that we covered the different herbs and stuff today so that I can tuck those away in my arsenal, uh, when she comes down with things. Yeah, it's really amazing how effective they can be. And they often, when we're using those whole plant medicines, they don't have the serious adverse effects because they're more balanced in nature. So everything that they do is just um, kind of has a cushion to them in some respects. And so they can be much safer and just as effective as many over-the-counter remedies. Yeah. And so I'm going to, and if you don't know the answer to this, that's totally fine, but I am super curious just because she does have, um, basically, I know a lot of people aren't really familiar with Von Willebrand's. I had never heard of it until my daughter was diagnosed with it, but of the protein that your body produces, or I should say the clotting factor, uh, as soon as you get cut, your body sends things to that area for the blood to begin to form a clot. Well, with Von Willebrand's disease, her body and her specifically, there's varying degrees of it. She only produces about 30% of what a normal person would to form a clot. Mm -hmm. um, and so it takes her longer to form a clot um, than a normal person. And then that clot itself isn't as strong. So like she gets a scab or a cut, it takes it a lot longer to heal. Um, the scabs aren't as strong. And then of course, if there was anything internal, then those, those clots are weaker. Um, so <laughs> And a lot of the herbs, um, you know, like especially like cayenne and some different ones that people say to put on a cut because those can interfere with the clotting factor. Do you know if there are any herbs that help aid the body that don't affect the clotting factor when it comes to wounds? I, I, there are things I would wonder about, but I can't say that I have experience using herbs in that way and can say like, oh yes, you know, I've worked with 20 people like this and I have these results to share with you. I would be curious about yarrow. Yarrow is a really amazing plant. Yarrow itself can teach us so much just about how versatile herbs can be because we also, we often think of drugs or even herbs as doing like this one thing, but yarrow does so many things that it, we call it the harmonizer, especially with blood. And so yarrow is used topically to stop bleeding. And then it's used internally when there are things um, like varicose veins and there's stagnant blood. Or it can be used on bruises, which is also a stagnant blood condition. So it moves blood, but it also stops blood flow when used on a wound. So I'd be curious about that. But again, I cannot say that I've tried it and 
I can, you know, share my experience with you on that. Right. And I so appre- I appreciate that. <laughs> I will definitely dig into it. In fact, I just bought a whole bunch of yarrow seeds. A lot of areas of the country or the world, I should say, yarrow just kind of grows almost wildly, but it's not one, at least in our immediate vicinity, that I really see growing wild or grows around here. So I purchased some seed because I'm like, I'm going to be growing this myself so I can play with it somewhere. So I'm glad that you said that because I already have my seed and I'm, I'm ready to go and, and to get that sown so it can come up for us next spring. Um, so I'm, yeah, lovely. yeah. Awesome. I think you grow, you live on the other side of the mountains from me. So over here where it's drier, the yarrow will, it really likes those dry fields, but it will grow, you know, with more moisture, but it just, yeah, needs to be planted and coaxed along a little bit. Yeah, I was going to, we have a kind of a rocky flower bed that retains a lot of the sun's heat that we get, and then it doesn't get waterlogged. It's a little bit drier. So any of my kind of more drought um, plants or plants that don't like to be overly wet, I put there. So that's where I was going to. perfect. Okay, perfect. I was going to um, seed it over there. So yay, good to know. Um, thank you so much. I feel like we have just barely scratched the surface, but I feel like we got so much information and great great just tips for things that we can, you know, tactfully use and do when we're starting to come down and have some of those symptoms, especially with cold and flu season that regard fevers. But we were chatting a little bit before we started to hit record. And so I'm going to ask, I feel like this is kind of like a a bonus round, but you guys have a a homestead and you have 20 acres and you told me that you grow 100 herbs medicinally. And I was so like, okay, I want to be you when I grow up. So... <laughs> and I grow, I grow quite a few herbs with this. I'm going to have to count them now. I'm going to have to go out and count them because I'm, I don't, I'm not sure off the top of my head how many I have. But if you were starting out to growing your own herbs to use them medicinally, what would be your top picks? Like, you know, absolutely start with these ones or kind of your favorites. I know it's like picking a favorite child. It's impossible. <laughs> but if you had to with the herbs, <laughs> what would be kind of your top picks for growing at home? That's a great question. So of course, it kind of depends on what zone people live in and what will grow well with them. So that's always my, so kind of like the two um, first things to think about is, you know, what will grow well near me? And then two, what will I use? And so those are great lenses to think about that. Um, But let's assume that everybody lives in zone four like me and, (laughs) and they have my same favorite herbs. So, so, so another thing to think about is like what herbs are really ideal fresh as well. So um, oftentimes we dry herbs and that can be one of the best ways to have herbs is dry because it breaks down their cell wall and it makes it easier to extract into say tea. Um, so fresh is not always necessary with, um, with herbs, but it's nice if, to have those herbs that are ideal growing fresh in your own garden because then you can use them right away. And one of my favorite herbs to grow is Tulsi or holy basil. It's related to our culinary basil, but it's quite different. And it grows just like basil. So I'm in zone four. And so I start the seeds in March and keep them inside for several months. And then I plant them outside and I plant them under a covering that uh, holds in the war- warmth. And so that they get a lot, of, a lot of warmth in those first spring months when it can be kind of cool outside. But Tulsi is, has a great flavor and um, will grow quite um, into a thick uh, little shrub. And it's wonderful for so many things. It's a calming herb. It um, builds strength and uh, brings natural energy. And one of my favorite things to do with it is just to harvest it while it's fresh and put it, chop it up and put it in water in the fridge overnight. The next day I strain it off and the water just has this 
really fresh, clean, delicious flavor. And Tulsi has also been studied extensively for helping people who have uh, chronic pain, like rheumatoid arthritis, osteoarthritis. It's been studied extensively for people with type 2 diabetes and other metabolic disorders. So it has some pretty heavy hitting uh, uses and it, as well as it just tastes great and can bring overall um, kind of strength and calm to anybody who uses it. And it's generally safe for most people. So that's one of my very favorites. We mentioned chamomile. That's another favorite of mine. Um, you'll know this about chamomile. It takes a lot to harvest a little bit. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes so it does. That's another thing to consider when growing plants, you know, like, am I going to harvest this? How much do I have to grow of it to really make an impact? You know, because you have to grow a pretty good patch of chamomile and harvest it regularly. It takes time to dry. It's so phenomenal though. I mean, I love doing that. And this year I just got a little chamomile rake. So I'm not, you know, plucking the little, each individual flower by hand. So I can, um, it's kind of like a berry rake. And so it harvests more of the chamomile in, in one shot. Um, I definitely love that. And then my culinary herbs are often my most used herbs. So growing thyme uh, is lovely. And the, um, not only do is one, one of my very favorite culinary herbs, I really love thyme and soups. Uh, for example, all throughout the winter months, as well as a tea, as I mentioned. Uh, but another thing about thyme is that the bees love them. So if you're growing a garden and thinking about pollinators, the bees just go crazy for thyme uh, flowers. This year, my thyme has grown so big that I don't need to harvest all of it. And so I harvested half my thyme this year and uh, dried it and processed that for the winter and then let the bees have the other half. I just couldn't bear to cut it because they were, they have plenty of flowers in my garden, but they love that one so intensely that um, I had to let them have some. So and, I, know, uh, I noticed that with mine with the oregano, the oregano blossoms. Oh my goodness. Same thing. The bees, I wish we don't have honeybees around here. I mean, some of them are honeybees, but we don't have, I should say, we don't have hives on our property. We do have honeybees. I said that backwards, but I'm, I'm like, I would love to taste the honey that's made from the pollen of oregano. And I'm sure thyme as well, because I know the pollen affects the flavor of the honey. And I know we're on a side note, but we have talked quite a bit about herbs and honey. And so I, I've noticed the same thing though. They really like, even though I've got tons of flowers and cottage flowers and do a lot of companion planting with lots of different flowers as well to encourage them they really zone in on those two particular herb blossoms. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Both of those are so great. And I love growing oregano too. And um, just a tip, like I, I happen to prefer thyme as a culinary herb over oregano, just as a preference, but oregano, when you grow that, it's much easier to process. There's less little tiny stems and, and so it's just easier to dry and, and process it than thyme. Um, it's like tips of a, lazy slash practical herbalist. <laughs> I love those tips because I'm the same way. In fact, when you were talking about that camo chamomile rake, I'm like, what? They make such a device? I am so Googling it as soon as we get off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, there's like life before the chamomile lake rake and life after. <laughs> I love it. And sorry, I totally squirreled on that one. But um, did you have a few more that you wanted to walk us through? Because I have not done holy basil. Some of these I'm like, how have I not done these? So I'm, I'm making a list like, okay, we're adding in the holy basil this coming <laughs> next spring. Nice, nice. Yeah. And holy basil makes such a great tea. I, we could go on and on about holy basil. It's a revered herb in India used as an adaptogen and yeah, so many great benefits to that one. But yeah, great to have it. The freshly dried is 
you know, your own freshly dried Tulsi is going to be way better than most of what you can just buy. So that one's a great one for you to just have in your own garden. Yeah. Another one I really love is lavender. And my goal is to have so many lavender plants that I don't even know how many I have on the property. So I'm, every year I add more and more and just tuck them in and I'll, I'll buy another one. Or this year I actually started some from seeds and I'll tuck them in. My husband, you know, it's, when I get more lavender, he'd be like, and where are you going to put that? And I'm <laughs> like, oh, we will find a way somewhere. Right. Never <laughs> fear. Love it. And um, I liked so I like to have enough that I can just leave it blooming until it goes, um, you know, past its bloom just to have it for decoration. And then I also like to harvest it before. So you harvest lavender when using it for medicine before it flowers. And so it's just like the little lavender buds on there. Yes. And you harvest that. And I love to infuse that into oil. And then uh, it, the, that oil has just a really lovely scent and it modulates inflammation is really great for the skin. So you could infuse it into a delicate oil like jojoba, something that's not greasy feeling. And you can use that on your you know, face and neck and arms. And that's lovely. And it also makes a good honey, as we mentioned before. Use a lot less lavender when you're making the honey though, because you can overdo the lavender taste pretty easily. <laughs> yeah. It's very punchy. I mean, it's got a strong flavor. I adore the scent of it. I'll be honest. I'm not crazy about its taste. And maybe it's because I've had too much in the few dishes I've had. It was so overpowering. I'm like, whoa. Yeah, you can really overdo it. Yeah, so when I make a honey, um, I usually make far less honey of that. So I'll do, um, I know you have an affinity for mason jars. That's also a requirement. for. <laughs> um, so make, you know, in that little um, four ounce mason jar, I might put like 10 lavender blood buds. That's okay. enough. You okay. really don't need more than that. And then you put the honey in there and it just gives a delicate flavor to it. It's not overpowering in the same way that you can be overpowered by lavender. So, so yes, lavender is lovely. So what I like to do with lavender too is if you grow it. So right now my lavender is just finished flowering and it's obviously, you know, beyond its beautiful state and the bees aren't visiting it anymore. And so I'm going to go cut it back and create a mound out of it. And you want to do that with your lavender because it keeps it in a pretty shape. And I'll take all that, those dried lavender stems and leaves and those spent flowers and I will well, dry them. And then what I do is I get old pillowcases and I fill them with those and they still have a lovely aromatic scent to them. And then I put those in the bottom of my clothes drawers and the bottom of my linen drawers. And I just do that every year. It's just a nice little tradition to do. And it's a great way to use lavender that's you know technically past its prime for medicine, but still has a lot of aromatics and nice uses for it. Oh, I love that. And I am, I do. Yeah. I started putting in lavender, I think like two, no, three or four years ago now on the homestead. Man, I swear the older I get, I sound so ancient right now. I know. <laughs> I'm like, the years start to go together, but I'm the same way with the lavender. I just love it. I think it's gorgeous. I even think that the, just the leaves themselves are really pretty because they kind of have that almost silverly grayish green to them. It's not, you know, that bright green that so many plants, especially here where we live in the Pacific Northwest on the West side, we have a lot of green here, which I'm not complaining about, but I like to find a little bit of variations and lavender fits that. I have a question though. I have always, so I harvest my lavender, especially when I'm using it medicinally, the exact same way that you do. And, and it sounds like our steps are very similar, but when I'm doing my infused oils, I dry the buds and then I infuse them in the oil. Is that how you do it too? Or are you using it fresh in the oil? Cause I was 
always been concerned about mold growth mm -hmm. with oil if I use a lot of fresh plant material. But mm -hmm. I'm curious, because I know the lavender buds are very small, what's your process for the infused oil? So you can do either, but you're right. The, by drying the plant, you're going to have less incident of mold or the oil going off. And so that's a great way to start making oils. Um, and with lavender, I think either one is preferred, or either one is fine. Um, like they both smell lovely in the end. Um, but yeah, that the water can introduce the mold in there. So drying okay. okay, I was just checking. And I love doing it in jojoba oil. In fact, I think lavender oil, calendula oil, and peppermint oil are my three most used oils when I'm doing, you know, soaps and salves and just all the different things. I tend to, especially the lavender oil, I tend to use that one a lot because I just yeah. love it. So yeah, the scent and everything. And calendula yeah. is going to be the next herb I was going to mention, actually. Okay, good. <laughs> so, calendula is just so amazing. I'm, I'm actually, um, just this morning, I was harvesting um, my next round of calendula and getting all that sticky resin all over my fingers and yes. that distinct calendula scent. And yeah, so calendula, beautiful orange flowers, if you're not familiar with it. Um, well, I, and it actually comes in yellow flowers too, but I prefer growing just the orange um, because I like the bright, vibrant color. And calendula, and uh, where I live, it's just an annual, but can be a perennial and um, zones not quite as cold as mine. And if you can eat the petals, they're really high in things like beta carotene. And so antioxidants are really great. And you can just take the petals, you remove them from the green um, base. You just take the petals and you can put them over salads or over your food and they're just pretty. And again, have those antioxidant qualities. But when you harvest them for medicine, you harvest the whole flower head with the green um, bottoms attached to it as well. And as you mentioned, that this calendula is one of easily one of my most favorite infused oils. And I, this one I definitely dry because it has so much water content. The lavender doesn't have quite as much water content, um, but the calendula definitely does. And so I dry them carefully on a screen and as soon as they're dried, then I infuse them into oil. And I use that with jojoba oil every year and I give that to my girlfriends over the holidays. And they love it so much and they like definitely hint like, are you harvesting calendula? <laughs> Um, like jojoba these days is a pretty luxurious oil. Um, there's other oils, you know, you can use too that are just lighter so they don't have that greasy feeling, but it's just such a beautiful color. The oil is just golden orange and filled with so many nourishing qualities for the skin. I mean, it's, it's definitely, if you have a, a, a random issue with the skin, calendula is generally like the go-to for that. So yes, whether it's, I agree. you know, posts, you know, just, I use it because um, you know, in my younger years, I was not as observant as protecting my skin from the sun. And now I just use it as like a overall nourishment for my skin, but also just as a protectant since I, I know that I've gotten a lot of sun in my ears. So, yeah. And the great thing about jojoba oil too, is if anybody has like combination or acne prone, which I, my hand is raised here, mm -hmm. it's the closest to our skin's natural pH level of like all the oils, which is actually very beneficial for the skin. And so it's great to use on the face. And even though it's an oil, I know, you know, like back in the day was like, oh no, if you have oily skin, you don't want to touch, you know, all that kind of stuff. But jojoba oil is great. Even if you've got that acne prone or oily skin, it is a great, I don't think there's any other oil in my opinion, that's better to use on the face mm -hmm. than, than the jojoba oil. So yeah, I'm with you. I love it. And I was going to tell you, I did I have a lot of orange calendula and what's great is it's a 
annual where I live, but if you let some of them go to seed, they will like self sow and they'll come back without you having to replant them the next year. I have like calendula gone wild on the homestead, which I'm quite <laughs> thrilled with. It's a great companion plant too, to actually use in the vegetable garden, which is where I grow quite a bit of it. But this year I was excited. I'm growing a strawberry, which is a pink calendula and it is so pretty. It's gorgeous. Oh. Yeah, I'm super excited. And then I did a snow one that's like a, um, it's not white. It's got a little bit of yellow and it's got this really dark, like um, orange center. So it really contrasts with those paler Mm. petals. It's beautiful too, but I only have like a couple of each of those. So I'm going to kind of let those ones go to seed and I'm going to be harvesting all of my, my good standby orange ones for my uh, medicinal oils and using in, yeah, all the salves and the topicals and all of that fun stuff too. And I know it is edible and often used as a dye, but does it have any, like when you're using it internal wise, like say a tea or a tincture or something like that, does it have many properties used that you would use it for in that instance too? Or is it more just your overall, uh, skin application? It's definitely most well known for the skin, but it has some really fabulous uses internally as well. So it's, um, you can use it externally on your skin to heal wounds. It's mildly antimicrobial and mildly vulnerary, which means it heals up wounds, but you can use that internally for the same reason. So it's often included in digestive healing blends. Um, I like to pair it with with, um, plantain. So calendula plantain is a mix that I like. Uh, for and that could be all sorts of digestive wounds, whether that's um, something like an ulcer or something like um, intestinal permeability or leaky gut in the intestines. And so it's just a broadly healing plant that can be really beneficial internally. It's a mild lymphagogue, so it moves lymph and helps restore healthy lymph. And that can be really important for intestinal problems. There's a lot of lymph in the intestines. Okay. And um, historically it was used for the liver and that's not something that you see a lot of herbalists using it today for it might be because it was forgotten like that or it might be because we have so many herbs for the liver it just doesn't get um, that spotlight like it once did but so it definitely has some action on okay, the liver. Okay that's fascinating I did not know all of that. Yeah 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 so there's so many things that calendula like most plants you know just it's not that just the one thing it's so many things. <laughs> Okay. I love that. I'm so excited. Well, I'm feeling really good because other than the holy basil, I've got your top one. So I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm doing good. Now I just got to build it out more. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on today. I feel like we covered so much, but it was so good. Like I learned a ton. I know that the listeners, I know you guys are learning a ton too. So let us know where people it's best to connect with you if they want to continue learning more on their herbal journalism. As I said, I already have, or I should say their herbal journey. I said that totally backwards. I've got your book and I adore it, but where's the best place for people to connect with you to learn more about your work with herbalism and for them to, to gain more education and using it themselves? Sure. Um, I have a website that has lots of herbal articles, whether it's herbal monographs where I just write about a single herb or looking at how to use herbs for certain ailments, um, anything from like eczema to fibromyalgia is on there. And that website is herbswithrosalie.com. And um, on there, I also have a free course that's how to choose the best herb for you. And so I I go more in depth on the stuff that we first started talking about on the best in terms of how to figure out if you're 
hot or cold or damp or dry and then how to match herbs to you um, in that way as well. So, and that's just by signing up on my newsletter, you get access to that free course. Okay, perfect. And guys, I will have links to all of that in the show notes and the blog post that accompanies today episode. So if you just want to go, go there and click to the resource section, then you'll be able to grab all the links. We'll link to everything so you can find that. So yeah, thank you so much for coming on. I can't wait to dive into, I got to get myself back in, back into your book. I think it's been a few years since I've read it and I'm like, Ooh, I got to get back in there. So thank you so much for all your work and sharing. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Melissa. It's been a pleasure. Okay, guys, I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. Did you learn a ton or what? So while it is available for free, because it's only up for a couple of weeks, I believe it's through October 5th, 2019 is the last day. So make sure that you head over there right now, because when this goes live, it just went up that you can get that free chart that I was telling you about earlier, as well as the four videos with the Taste of Herbs flavor wheel, and then those four videos that you get to view for free that are part of the full-on course. So get access to that free stuff. Go to melissacanorris.com forward slash herb wheel, or to just head on over to today's blog post that has all of the links and all of the resources to everything that we were talking about in this episode. You can do that at melissacanorris.com forward slash 202 because this is episode number 202. And we have brand new episodes coming to you every single week, two of them, Wednesday and Friday. So to make sure that you don't miss any of our episodes, however you're listening to this, whatever app, make sure that you hit subscribe. And then that way it'll just automatically show up. You won't have to go and seek it out so that you don't miss anything because some of our episodes, the information is always timeless. But some of the episodes have some really cool freebies that will help you go even further and to actually implement things that are only available for a short period of time. So you do want to listen to the episodes as close as to their release and publish date as possible so that you don't miss any of those. And again, thank you so much for joining me. I so appreciate your spending your time with me. And I got to tell you, it just makes me all kinds of happy to know that there are other people out there like me who get excited about this stuff and want to learn about it because, you know, us natural minded, homestead, old fashioned, loving people. Seriously, we're like a breed apart, y'all. Not everybody gets us. And so I am so thrilled to have found you and that we get to be a part of this awesome community and share this love and learning with one another. So thank you so much. And if you know of anybody who would benefit from this information, by all means, please feel free to share this episode with them, share the blog post that accompanies it if they want to read it, if they don't listen. But thank you so much for helping me get this information out there and for being a part of this awesome community. I truly do appreciate you. Okay, I can't wait to meet you back here next week.